Hi, and welcome to another edition of Trans Talks. And today is all about Ollie. I drove to Yorkshire to um, catch up with Ollie in person, and we had a great conversation. We talked about the nuances in the space between and away from the gender binary, and how other inspiring gender non conforming people helped Ollie to find their way to understanding their own gender. We chatted about how none of this is new, despite what current perceptions may be. And we also celebrated the gift of being surrounded by people who just get it. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. As a side note, we had some recording complications, which ended up with us recording the conversation with just one microphone. So apologies for the added room noise. Without further ado, here's Ollie. Ollie, hello. Thank you so much for taking a part in my little podcast. Thank um, you. And for being the first in-person guest, <laughs> which is extra exciting. Um, could you tell me uh, a little bit about yourself? What do you like doing? What are your loves in life? Um, is there anything you really don't like doing? <laughs> Just random facts. Um, I write poetry. I really enjoy writing poetry. It's a little bit of an escape yeah. from life. Um, I enjoy acting, as you know. I do. Um, and uh, things that I really dislike, sports, hate sports, any type of sport. <laughs> <Can relate. laughs> Not for me. <laughs> um, yeah, that actually ties in a bit about what we were talking about earlier, pre-recording, about solitary creative pursuits, certainly the poetry side of that. Yeah. Although acting is a bit at odds with that because acting is very much a collaborative creative pursuit. But that's another story for another podcast. (laughs) Um, This podcast is called Trans Talks and it's about people who I consider under the trans umbrella. Um, But I appreciate that some of the people I'm interviewing don't necessarily consider themselves under the trans umbrella. And to be honest, in this day and age, who would want to be considered (laughs) under the trans umbrella if they can possibly avoid it? How um, do you identify How What is your gender identity? Um, Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so variously genderqueer, non-binary. I think most of the time I use non-binary now because um, the colours of the genderqueer flag have kind of been appropriated by um, a group that I, you know, don't really want to. Um, really? Tell me more. This is news <laughs> to me. Myself. So, so the colours of the, of the genderqueer flag are green, purple and white, yeah. which are generally the colours that TERFs use. Um, oh my word, how am I only just finding this out? That is very interesting. So yeah, I generally tend to just say non-binary now um I guess for 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 a little while I didn't really want to consider myself as trans because I didn't I kind of felt like I was like appropriating a term that didn't belong to me okay um but now I think I do consider myself trans more and more um kind of identifying with that with the trans community and a lot of the struggles that non-binary people and trans people face are kind of intertwined. Yeah. Um, so I think there's more power in that than yeah. kind of trying to separate myself from it. 
the, the unity of the umbrella yeah. or the solidarity of the umbrella. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can get with that. Yeah, I mean, I've never been sure myself. Um, when I discovered my identity, I knew nothing about gender variance at all. It did exist. I had a book back then in 2007. I bought the book on Amazon as part of my, like, <laughs> research as to who I am. Um, and the book was called Gender Queer, and it's like a collection of essays by different writers from different identities. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind. I mean, I, I found it hard to, like, connect with it because it really didn't... Most of it didn't really feel like it was anything to do with me, yeah. in a way. Um, uh, it was very interesting, and when I look back at that now... I find it more interesting, and in fact, I should revisit that book with you know while I'm doing this podcast yeah. and finding out more about different identities. Uh, and so, yeah, I've often wondered about this trans umbrella thing, and I totally am with you on the fact that it's got to strengthen us in the face of adversity. If there is adversity to be faced, it's better to do it um, side by side uh, if we Definitely. share common adverse, uh, adversarial situations. Yeah. So, with that in mind, I mean, like, the word trans is derived from either transsexual or transgender, ostensibly, but there is also this coincidence that the term transition um, kind of applies to... It obviously applies to people who are trans men and trans women because they're generally Mm -hmm. transitioning from one presentation or one, yeah, like, public-facing gender, if you like, to, to the one that they, you know, feel that they connect with. Do you connect with the word transition at all? Is that anything that feels like it's part of your experience or journey as a as a non-binary slash gender queer person? Yeah, I mean, not especially something that I relate to. I kind of, I, d- I don't feel like I've transitioned much. Like I've, I've, I, I don't feel like I've ever been male or ever been female. I've always just been me. Yeah. So I don't, really feel like I've transitioned. I mean, I go by a different name now than I used to, but it's still very similar to the name that I was given at birth. Yeah. And, yeah, that there are, like, non-binary people that maybe would transition in sort of a more physical way than I would ever consider doing myself, or at least in this moment in time. Yeah, I've um, come across non-binary people who've do some medical transition. Yeah. Um, like if they were assigned male at birth, they might start taking estrogen hormones in a much lesser um, dose than sort of a trans woman like me who's on, like, you know, as much estrogen as I can possibly get to undo all that testosterone damage. But I know they, they kind of use some of the opposite hormone to what they were assigned at birth to, to kind of even out themselves physically. But that's not yeah. part of what you've experienced along... No. No. Yeah. No. I mean, there, there seems to be a, a huge, like, variation among non-binary people, of course, because that's the whole point of non-binary, the, the name yeah, itself. definitely. Yeah. And, and there are two aspects of transition, I always think. There's one which is, like, the physical, medical side of things, which is about how you connect to your body, and possibly for, for trans men and trans women, they're more like rooted in the binary or their their like physical dysphoria maybe is more to do with the binary whereas if you're not part of the binary at all then that medical side of things is almost like i can see it wouldn't be so such an important aspect yeah um 
But then there's the other side of transition, which is about, like, your interaction with the outside world, with other people. And I guess that's possibly what has changed more for you. Yeah, it's kind of been more of a, a social thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Than anything, any, anything sort of physical. Although, like, don't, don't get me wrong, there's still things that I feel dysphoric about. Like, I, I keep my hair long because if I see photos of myself with short hair it just freaks me out yeah um and it also helps mask other dysphorias it means i don't have to shave as often because <laughs> yeah. it's like well i i you know feel a little bit more androgynous in this one thing so i don't need to like keep up with the other stuff yeah. that's more time consuming <laughs> yeah I totally get that i mean i think even as a, a straightforward trans woman um there are, I know all trans men and trans women that I know have experienced this, where there are some things that you just cannot change about your body. For me, my height is one of them. <laughs> like, they haven't figured out any <laughs> technological way of dealing with that, and I'm quite dysphoric about my height, but you offset it with other things. Yeah. And finding out what clothes actually don't exaggerate your height so much, or vice versa. And, yeah, it's all about, like, our own individual bodies, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there is an element of like physical aspect to your gender identity in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. But but not like as maybe extreme as trans men and women. Yeah, I would say so. Cool. Have you done anything like official about dealing with your gender identity? Um, you you're going by a different name. Or a similar name, but like a, a, a different version of your name. Do, have you sort of done deed poll changes of that or anything like legally? Yeah, no, I haven't yet. I, I plan on doing it, but um, I'm going to get married. So I figured I might as well kill two birds with one stone and do it all then. That's a very good, <laughs> yeah, very good approach. Right, I like it. Yeah, <laughs> so. That, I mean, this is one of the main things I was going to talk to you about, actually. I've heard a lot of people using gender non-conforming as a, an overall term mm-hmm. now, which is, I've got, I kind of prefer that almost, having started a podcast called <laughs> Trans Talks. Um, <laughs> it's a catchy name. Uh, but it, the trans umbrella does feel like it's not the right term almost to describe like the community of people that don't conform to yeah. the gender they were assigned at birth. And, and gender non-conforming is quite a, a good term to describe that. Within that, um, identities like non-binary or agender or gender fluid, as a trans woman, I feel more privileged in the way that the law currently does protect me. And it gives me a way of living where, like, there are things that I can do that are simple and I can tick boxes on forms and things like that a lot more easily than I imagine people who are, like, non-binary or those other gender non-conforming identities what is your experience of that um do, do you feel that there are like legal challenges in being who you are yeah I mean I I can't like on my passport I can't say that I'm non-binary I have to be one or the other um which you know just doesn't make any sense to me yeah <laughs> and like even even just like online forms, the amount of online forms I fill out that don't have mix as an option, yeah, um, is annoying. They honestly. sometimes have other 
Yeah. I've noticed, <laughs> which I find really offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whose bright idea that was. But... <laughs> so, like, you know, sometimes if if I want to choose, like, a, a gender non-specific title, I have to, like, pretend to be a doctor or something. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous at times because it's just something that should be so simple. Yeah. And it's not. And there's no reason for it not to be. Yeah. Yeah. These things are so built into our society. When I say these things, I mean the binary. Yeah. Um, do you think, I mean, do you think it's going to be, it's hard to imagine what's going to happen in the world at the moment, but like, I'm very, this is, this is because I'm very ignorant about the current situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live in a very quiet <laughs> corner of Wales and I've transitioned 15 years ago or whatever it was longer than that so I feel very out of touch with things I remember the challenges that I faced at the time but a lot of those have been resolved now mm-hmm. as the laws have changed things are changing do you sense that the laws are changing in the right direction and that the law will eventually be more accommodating to to people of other genders rather than or non-genders rather than like the binary that's so entrenched yeah I hope so I'm <laughs> I'm I'm famously an eternal optimist mm-hmm. um so I definitely want to believe that things are going in the right direction and I think like your average you know Joe off the street most of the time is just like let people get on with their lives yeah but then it does also feel like there's a kind of political pushback um at the moment like mm-hmm. against trans people and non-binary people as well where there just doesn't seem to be the political will to change things for the better yeah um and just yeah why is that what <laughs> is it okay i don't know how much you want to talk about this but you are um, a quite a politically interested person mm-hmm. I, I'm sort of not. <laughs> I mean, I am in as much as I read the news and get frustrated with political parties and so on. But what is it about trans issues that is making it currently such a kind of, like, hot topic? You said the word pushback, which is really interesting. In another interview I've done for this series recently, we were talking about the pushback mm-hmm. and the reason for it. And we were speculating that there have been a lot of changes or new identities, new in inverted commas, but mm-hmm. newly become aware among the masses, um, different identities. And our thoughts were at the time that maybe the pushback is because of that. Um, and I kind of tied it back to what happened in the 80s for gay people, for gay men especially, mm-hmm. um, that after Stonewall, there was like this kind of decade of some progress you know yeah um, but because the progress got a bit too progressive that once we entered the thatcher years there was a pushback of like well no we're not going to have that and we're not going to talk about that in schools and you're not going to have these rights you know and we're not going to try and solve the aids problem you know all of that stuff was like it felt like a pushback to stonewall and it just was a bit of a delayed reaction do you think something similar is going on here i mean yeah, I think in in part it's people thinking that things have gone too far. Um, in terms of like identities that they've never come across. Yeah, yeah. and I think I think it's 
you know, fear of the unknown for people. Yeah. Um, they, that they don't want to understand something that they don't experience themselves. Um, in part, I think it's a lot of stoking of a kind of culture war that distracts from other issues that political parties don't want to f- don't want people to focus on. They want them to focus on these more trivial, yeah, in inverted commas things. But evocative, maybe. They yeah, have, they like evoke emotional reactions in people. Yeah, something that's manufactured controversy. Yeah. That's convenient for them. Yeah, that that the first uh, issue that you were talking about about like people not wanting to change or fearing change. Yeah, I mean sometimes it's a fear. Sometimes it's just I feel it's just laziness. Sometimes, or the expectation that they're going to have to do some really hard work to learn how to use a pronoun, differently <laughs> yeah, or whatever. I mean, have you experienced that personally, um, like in your everyday life? Um, do you find that people are like resistant? to accepting you for, you know, who you are? Or do they quite quickly feel, oh, this is fine? Yeah. I think most of the time people just kind of get on with it and are fine with it. So, like, at work, I don't make a big deal about it. Like, if someone wanted to know that I'm not binary, like, I don't hide that away. Like, I work in quite a small company that's very, like, family-based. So it kind of doesn't feel like the right environment to kind of make a thing of it or bring attention to it. So, like, at work, I get misgendered on a daily basis. Yeah. But it's just kind of, you know, what I'm used to. And it's probably more that I'm reluctant rather than, like, my co-workers would be reluctant. Yeah. Um, so, so you get misgendered by your co-workers? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, I've never told them, so... (laughs) And I guess if it's a small company, they're not so likely to have, like, a really, you know, robust infrastructure of how to deal with all these different, you know... Yeah. ...people with different identities. Like, I used to work at a school, and because a school is a big thing and it's part of an even bigger thing... Yeah. ...they had, like, policies for, this is what's going to happen if you're this, this is what's going to happen if you're disabled, or if you're, you know, whatever it is... There was a, a, a little booklet yeah. <laughs> to associate with that and everyone was expected to conform. But I guess mm-hmm. if it was a smaller business, then maybe they haven't got something like that in place. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's kind of like a thing where it was like, if I, for instance, put my pronouns in my email um, signature, I'd probably get more questions about it than I would feel like it was worth doing. <laughs> right. Like... I feel like it would cause more issues than it would solve. Yeah. So, yeah, I just kind of get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, I think a lot of bigger companies are, are having to adopt or feeling like they have to adopt the whole email signature thing. I mean, the email signature thing is a classic because um, it is like a, a kind of... It's a symbol of some kind of infrastructure in a, in a business. If, if that's happening and everybody's doing it, then, you know, we're accommodating everybody. Yeah. But they obviously haven't got there yet with your... No. Business. Were you, like, um, like out as a non-binary person when you started working there, or...? Yeah, you, yeah, was. Yeah. 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 How, I didn't even ask you about that. Like, how long ago did you figure this out um, and start talking to people about it? 
mid-COVID pandemic. Okay. Um, sort of before that, I'd, I'd been so focused on figuring out my sexuality that I'd not even thought about my gender at okay. all. Because I was brought up as a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Um, like, that was something that was, like, a really big deal for me to kind of get my head around and not repress and just kind of be myself. And it was only at the start of, like, literally the day before um, we all got put into lockdown, oh I left home and was able to kind of finally be myself. Wow. So, yeah, I'd sort of only just kind of felt like I was free to just kind of be me. Yeah. Um, and then COVID left me with a lot of time <laughs> to, <laughs> to your think about things. It's suddenly not very real anymore because it's like yeah. we're in lockdown and everything is weird. Yeah, so I sort of started uh, with like he, they pronouns and then I was like thinking, hmm... I kind of feel better about the they than the he. That's good, yeah. Um, so, yeah, eventually kind of made the full switch to they, them, yeah. which just feels a lot more comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably been, I don't know, maybe two, two and a half years, something like that. How did you figure it out in that time? Like, did you know other non-binary people or um, in real life or online? or Like, how, how did you get there? That is a very good question. Um, I don't... I don't think I need many non-binary people, at least not, like, closely. Probably. <laughs> Watching Queer Eye, um, like, you know, mid-pandemic, mid and yeah. Jonathan Van Ness, who is amazing. Um, so probably that yeah maybe like sparked a little a little yeah ember yeah of self-realization <laughs> yeah yeah did it feel like i mean i think i found that like as soon as i discovered somebody else that identified what i've ended up identifying as there there was just like I know what you're talking about with the embers thing, or like the little spark, the little... In fact, for me, it was quite a jolt, I think. Like, I didn't know what being trans was when I discovered I was trans. And, you know, I'm still quite late. I know there are a lot of people who figured... Well, for millennia before us, but... Um, <laughs> It was only by... I don't even know how I ended up on a particular YouTube channel and found these two women called Calpurnia Adams and Andrea James, who are two, like, out trans women on YouTube in the early days of YouTube, very mm -hmm. early days of YouTube. And just seeing them, I think they did, like, a kind of a vlog-type thing where mm -hmm. they were going to events. And that there was definitely this, like, it, somebody had sort of switched something on in me. Like, I felt myself become connected to a part of myself that I realised had always been there, but I, d I didn't quite know what to label it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's curious. It's curious how we know, like, something like that and how difficult it is to... <laughs> Put into words. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, you, so somewhere mid-pandemic then, or during the lockdown, you began to figure this out. Mm -hmm. What did you do about it? Did you tell somebody? Like, did you talk to anybody or... Yeah. What I, changes did you... 
I had a great group of very supportive friends who we used to like uh, Skype every night um, during COVID and just talk for hours every evening um, about anything and nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, definitely talked it over with them a lot, which really helped me to sort of figure things out. Mm. And then, yeah, going back to like when I went back to college after lockdown, I spoke about it with my head of year and they were really supportive as well. Um, so sent an email to teachers and everything, um, which was, yeah, really, really helpful. Yeah. Definitely put yeah. the support in place. That is incredible to hear that your college was so supportive. And I think education it does seem to be one of these places where they are making good strides. Um, Definitely. I was teaching until only two years ago. And during the time that I was teaching, I only used to teach a small group of each class would only be like three or five, you know, five Mm -hmm. or six students or whatever. And in the years that I was there towards the end, I did come across a couple of students who were, you know, identifying as trans and the school would just, obviously it was a very new thing apart from the fact that I had worked there all that time, but I think they just let me do my job and didn't really mind what my identity was and the students didn't seem to care either, so it was all good. But when there were students who were starting to identify, they knew that they had to, like, figure something out. Mm -hmm. Um, They did actually, in Wales, I don't know if there's an equivalent in England, but in Wales there was a, a kind of a body that had been established, I think they were based in Cardiff, that was specifically to do with helping education establishments understand how best to accommodate trans pupils. And the school organised for a representative from that group to come to our school to talk to, disappointingly, only the teachers of this trans student. Mm -hmm. He was like the first trans student that I remember as Mm -hmm. being out. Um, And... Yeah, I was a bit frustrated that it was only, like, the three subject teachers and the head of sixth form, yeah. like, who was me me being one of them. <laughs> and I think the woman who was leading the sort of, like, seminar thing walked into the room and saw me and thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I've got to deliver a PowerPoint about being trans to somebody who is clearly trans. And the other three teachers all knew me really well and were really, like... So, in a way, she was speaking to the converted but it was just good to see that there was something happening even in a rural west wales school it felt like a real progress thing were there other people in college that identified as anything other than cis yeah um there were quite a few trans and non-binary students at college um so it was i think i think in part due to the fact that my college had like a really open and inclusive kind of atmosphere it kind of drew people in attractive people yeah yeah Yeah. as opposed to other places that might not have such acceptance I'm interested actually on on your thoughts about the more I've spoken to people about this um podcast and the different people I've tried to approach a, a, a wide range of ages and um geographical locations and identities and everything else and I feel like there are quite a few young people in it. And I've heard people talking about the fact that there are an increasing number of young people who are identifying as something other than cis, mm-hmm. as gender non-conforming in some way. 
I'm interested on your thoughts about why that might be happening. I mean, I know like the right wing in America, and I'm guessing it's probably happening here as well, although I'm not so aware of it, like using it as a weapon of like, oh, we're indoctrinating all the young people. And like, is it because people are talking about it more? Is it because people are feeling safer? Although I'm not sure how safe they feel. Um, Is it to do with social media? Is it just a new way of thinking? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's kind of a combination of maybe all of those things Mm. in that people know about it just in general and they see other people like on social media who are just authentically being themselves and so more and more people feel comfortable to authentically be themselves. Um, Which, can I just add, is a great thing. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Um, So yeah, I I think it's just more more of a thing of people just being more open about it. Um, and, you know, definitely the fact that people are now more open about sexuality than they were 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, has kind of helped as well yeah. people to be more open about gender. So I think that's surely. definitely a thing. I know, like there's a lot of talk about how the two things are separate sexuality and gender and absolutely 100% agree with that and and I get frustrated when people confuse them Um, but equally yeah like to be gay now is much less of a deal than it was in like 1975 as an example Um, and because of the, the you know the progressive strides that have been made in a lot of our society that has, yeah, has given people a more safer environment to, to have conversations about gender. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it's fascinating. What I'm really interested in, like, the history, the long history of, of all of this, and that mm. there were clearly, you know, gender non-conforming people in lots of different parts of civilization for millennia. Yeah. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours yesterday evening about going to the Louvre, in Paris and how I just remember walking around this was pre pre trans me I think before I'd realized what it was about me that that being trans was mm-hmm. um, and that there were so many paintings from like the Renaissance era of humans who had no specifically obvious gender or yeah. had aspects of multiple gender in the painting yeah. and like they were there and the, those paintings were celebrated as wonderful works of art. Um, and yet, <laughs> and yet. So there are obviously people who were relating to them. The painters who are painting them must have had some kind of understanding of or, or progressive thoughts about gender. Mm-hmm. Um, I say progressive, in, if we're talking about it in those terms, it's nothing to do with progress really at all. It's just, it, it was a thing. Yeah. But may, yeah, this social media, the social media aspect of it, I can definitely see how... If you can, like you say, see other people who are living their true selves and being as authentic as they they want to be, yeah. um, and can create community in a small way, like you were talking about your group of friends on Skype, um, you've got that kind of safe space. But then you've got the bigger safe space, um, with like sub communities on TikTok or Instagram, where you can find other people that feel like you do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I felt when I was. Um, finding out all about my transness 
there was very little of that available. Um, and I bought some books that were about people's very specific lives. But there wasn't this kind of cross-section. Yeah. Now, which is really interesting. I, I, I'm really fascinated by it. And I find that people who blame it, you know, <laughs> as a thing, it's, it's such a terrible way to see something that is a beautiful thing and that it gives people this opportunity to to figure out who they are and and live like that absolutely I mean for me um something that like I did a bit of kind of research around was like two-spirit identities um of like Native American tribes um and that was something that was really interesting to me because part of me when I first kind of realized that I didn't quite fit into a gender binary was like well I, I kind of, even though I knew that it wasn't, I kind of still felt like maybe this is just a me thing. Yeah. Um, so, like, looking into that and realising that actually, no, this is something that has been a thing for millennia across hundreds of different cultures. Yeah. And actually, it's largely a result of, you know, Western colonialism that we now... I stuck with this binary. Yeah, was really refreshing and eye-opening for I'm me. curious about our own British or European history because we, f- we think we know so much about what happened in history, but actually, do we? And the Victorian era caused a lot of changes in society Mm -hmm. and I can't help feeling my instincts are telling me that this is something to do with Victorians (laughs) Um, that like somewhere along the way things could have been erased because they were you know like ways of life have changed quite radically in the last couple of hundred years and it would be really lovely to be able to go back in time to the middle ages or whatever where we really don't know that much. What we do know comes from such very specific places mm. that I guess it in Native American culture and other cultures that still recognise. Um, there is in, I'm not sure if it's in Pakistan or India, there is like a, another gender or like yeah, a, a kind it's of... kind of thought of as like a holy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently there were Roman priests I think that, yeah. that kind of crossed the gender binary in some way or another um, but we have so little information about a lot of it that you know it would be lovely to go back in time and just see I mean whatever what we're saying is this is none of this is new um, we're finding new terminology yes, I think absolutely. and when we were talking earlier about fear there is something about the terminology that scares a lot of people, mm-hmm. I think. Just the word pronoun can <laughs> spark the terror yes. in certain people's eyes. Um, <laughs> um, so other than work, you've talked about work and how uh, you haven't really brought that to your work as mm-hmm. such. Are there other aspects of your life where it's been easier to, to sort of integrate your identity yeah, I'd say, I mean, <laughs> my life is uh, not very full of different spheres. I kind of have three things going on, maybe four <laughs> at a push. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm thankful and lucky enough to 
generally be surrounded by people who just understand and just kind of get on with it, like in, in sort of my political interests, you know, they just are fine with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, doing acting, again, it's a really safe space to just kind of be me and just get on with it. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much only work, I think, where I kind of am less yeah. of myself. Yeah. Um, it's not that you're denying yourself, it's just that you're not drawing attention to it. Yeah. I, th- I think it's part as well to do with, like, the fact that I'm... <laughs> probably the youngest person at my workplace by a fair distance. Mm. <laughs> would you would you like it if you felt like it was doable to establish it in your work environment? Would you feel more comfortable there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's something that I just kind of get on with and I don't really think about it that much. Yeah. But every so often it grates. Yeah. And it would be nice to not have it great. Mm. <laughs> um, I can imagine. But it's not something that bothers me too much, but I think that's just because I'm used to it and I've kind of forced myself to be used to it. Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier about um, politics and that you're, you're quite involved in politics generally. Mm-hmm. Can you see this resolving somehow? Like, we're obviously in this pushback time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that gender issues have become part of this cultural thing that is going on. I was going to say with the Tory party, but it also involves the Labour Party now. Um, and they are obviously the two biggest parties that we've got in this country. How long are we going to have to put up with this? Like, what is going to happen? Are, are they going to cave in and suddenly accept us all? Or what do you see happening? I mean, I, I am by no means a political fortune teller, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I I do generally think that this will be a thing that dies out um, as a sort of issue within the next five years. It could, it could just be about the next general election. Yeah. So once we get past that. Because I honestly feel, and you've kind of hinted this, and I'm totally... I'm on board with it, that, like, most people don't care about any of this. But they're almost being told that they should care. Yeah. Because it's much more interesting for them, in inverted commas, than, like, you know, other less important things like the NHS or the cost of living crisis or... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing is, most people in the UK probably know someone that's trans. They probably know someone that's non-binary. And they don't think about it. But then when the news, uh, the media comes out with some sort of sensationalised story, they suddenly, they're not thinking about their trans friend that they know. They're thinking about some big, scary, unknown trans thing. Mm. So they're made to care about something that's actually very different to the reality of their own lives. There's some sort of cognitive disconnect between actually the reality of a situation and what the media tries to portray a situation as yeah. being. That was very wordy, sorry. No, 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 <laughs> totally. I mean, it's difficult to explain these things because they're quite abstract concepts. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think, like, there are people in my real life who I know have totally 
well, I say I know, I trust that they've <laughs> accepted me as a trans woman and they, it's no issue in our relationship. And yet they are getting hung up increasingly on a lot of these news stories like mm-hmm. about trans women in sports or, you know, women's refuges um, and feminism and so on. And there is definitely, it feels like, I find that disconnect very frustrating mm-hmm. because it feels then like, well, yes, whatever is happening in the mainstream media is kind of working because it is gradually, you know, it's just, it's not working for everybody. Most people in my life are like very much allies and have nothing good to say about the mainstream press especially (laughs) at the moment Um, but it's frustrating that some are and I mean we're talking about the media here Mm -hmm. like and the link between the media and the government you know is there a link Uh, what is in it for the media what is in it for the government I mean I think there's probably more in it for the media because it's a story that you can sell yeah but it does feel a bit of a thin policy for political parties to be making so and and if it is that thin then it won't last yeah as you say hopefully fingers crossed beyond the next election (laughs) please make it stop (laughs) it's so pointless brilliant the last thing that I've been asking my other guests so far about is something that I I've come across the term trans joy a lot which I really love um, whether it's trans joy or whether it's gender non-conforming joy, I don't mind what label we put <laughs> on it. Um, it's a very specific thing for different people. So what brings you trans slash gender non-conforming joy in your life? It's a very good question. Having long hair, I love it. <laughs> that gives me joy. Uh, painting my nails, earrings, those like just little things that yeah definitely bring bring a bit of trans joy and then just being around other trans people that are happy and not like (laughs) like being around other trans people and just doing normal things not like thinking about what's going on in the world and just being able to shut all that off and just be people (laughs) um yeah is, is definitely a thing that yeah brings a lot of joy (laughs) yeah there is something really special about just being with people who you don't feel like you've got to explain something to or not that we have to explain something to most of the people in our lives because they they get it they get who we are that is brilliant thank you ollie so much for taking the time to talk to me and sharing your thoughts and experiences um it's added something really vital to this podcast which wasn't there before so thank you no worries thank you to speak to you yeah thank you for inviting me to speak (laughs) my pleasure (laughs) thank you so much ollie for your hospitality and for taking the time to talk with me thoroughly enjoyed myself i hope dear listener that you've enjoyed this episode Don't forget, if you'd like to be notified when the next episode comes, you can follow or subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening. I will see you again next time for another episode of Trans Talks. Trans Talks.